says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man, that, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but, the work, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground. He made mud with his saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and, he wa and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how, but how he now sees, we do not nor, know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age and he will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he had put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Lord, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the worship that we've had, the worship that's yet to come. And we thank you for your word, Lord. Remind us right now to bow our hearts before it. To bow our hearts to receive it, Lord to realize that in this book we call the Bible is your revelation to us, Lord. And we want to be encouraged. We want to see, Lord, the things that you tell us about. So, Lord, speak to us today through this amazing passage in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking about this passage for a couple of weeks. A uh, week ago, Wednesday night, I had just been doing a lot of study, and I came to lead Wednesday night from what I taught the week before. And it was kind of funny because I kept going to nine, and I said, okay, sorry, I, I keep thinking about the wrong passage. But I, it caused me to wonder, and maybe you have done the same if you're one that likes to read ahead. I thought, what has been the most amazing thing that I have ever seen? And that seems like an easy question, 
But in light of what we just read, all of a sudden you realize what I mean by amazing. I think for me, and, and again, it's different because it could be explained, but I think the most amazing thing I've ever witnessed is the birth of my two kids. It still goes down as just an amazing thing that happened in our life. I often tell people that are going to have a kid that just wait till you hold your baby for the first time. It is amazing. There's just something that happens. But that has to be the most amazing thing. Now, you want to help me? When you think about that, what would you be an amazing thing that you've witnessed? Anybody? You got to speak up. See, this is where it's going to go good or it's going to go bad. Now, don't be shy. We're at Starbucks. Talk to me. What's been the most amazing thing for you? Marty? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Somebody else. We're not going to go on forever, Sarah. Amen. And that's amazing, isn't it? You could relate to this because you're going, I think I'm healed. Yeah, exactly. Somebody else. Anybody else? Doug, way in the back. Speak up. Amen. Amen. It is. One more. Anybody? I see. Go ahead, Bill. Amen. Amen. And he still hears strange voices. No, I'm just joking. Okay. I'm teasing you, Bill. I got to know who I tease at times. I've crossed the line before and lost people. Like, where'd you leave? Well, you said this. Oh, geez, sorry. Anyway, but I think you'll agree. You see where I wanted to get us today. So you agree that what the story we're looking at is amazing that this man who had been born with the ability, not no ability to see, Jesus heals him and he is able to see. And really, it wasn't, obviously, it's not the wisdom of an eye doctor. It wasn't the wisdom of an eye surgeon. It wasn't 
that he had had his sight, lost his sight, and regained his sight. It was the power of God, and it was a sovereign God placing his hands on him, if you will, and healing him. And it's been a while, so let me get us back into some of the flow here. It's been a while since we've talked about this, but John only records seven miracles in his book. Now, Jesus did more than seven miracles, but John picked seven of them. And you remember why? Okay, you're going to remember the minute I say it. It's okay. I know you're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that I'm not talking. It goes all the way back to sixth grade. I said the wrong thing. The whole class laughed. I've never asked a question since. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, it, it doesn't. I, I do it all the time. And yeah. But anyway, it has to do with that one would see Jesus, that one would believe, and one would have everlasting life, right? So look at the scripture up on the screen here. That's where we get it, the end of John. He's going to say so. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John, remember, he calls them signs. We call them miracles, but he called them signs. And he wasn't so interested in that we would look at the sign itself, the miracle itself, the details of that and be awed. But he, we would see in that miracle who we should see. And it's Jesus Christ and who he is. And so the healing of the man born blind, it's actually the sixth miracle. There'll be one more after this in his book, the uh, Raising Lazarus from the Dead. And so let's just go back through our verses, and I'll get you through these hopefully in a pretty good time. So as he passed, verse 1, by, this is speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, so they're walking with him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm the, in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and when he anointed the man's eyes with mud, he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And so somewhere in Jerusalem, okay, we could agree upon that if you do any research on this. Probably close to the temple area. Remember, the temple is a great big complex. The literal temple itself was in the midst of that. But somewhere in that area is probably where this took place. And Jesus saw this man who had been born blind. And the disciples saw him too, and they raised this question, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born this way? And notice it doesn't say the disciples knew this man, but here's the thought that is out there. They actually did know about the man. Otherwise, how would they be walking by a beggar and go, see? And so it, it's believed that the condition of this beggar was common knowledge among the people in Jerusalem. Um, oftentimes, there's a lame man uh, at the temple. Remember that Peter and John heal. There's this man. And oftentimes, not oftentimes, probably all the time, if you had such an affirmity in your life, blindness, lameness, that, your life was reduced to begging for survival. 
And it wasn't a pretty situation at all. It was a matter of survival. And so that is why they knew this man. They knew about this man. And they asked this question. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of crazy to say, did he sin? That would mean, did he sin in his mother's womb? Which just so you know, anybody go there yet with the thought? That's unbiblical. So that's not uh, where he couldn't, he didn't sin there. But it was common in Jesus' day that blindness and other infirmities and suffering were because of sin. And so that was how people thought. If you were lamed, if you were crippled in some way, if you were blind, if you couldn't talk, you couldn't hear, they would say, oh, you sinned. You know, there's somewhere sin is attached to that. And on the one hand, that's true that we are born into a fallen world, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But on the other hand, that is not true. That's not the cause here. Look, let me show some verses here in Romans. Romans says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death appeared to all men because all sinned. And so we see that we have all sinned. Romans 5.18, one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. And what I just said, the Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that is how we enter in this world because of the fall. And this world and you and I have been infected, if you will, by sin. But we want to be careful. And I'm not going to go into this because it would take all morning. We want to be careful of attaching sin to everything that might go wrong. You know, I just say, Lord, I don't know what this is. Is this an attack? Is this what? I don't know, but I don't always do that. And it could be. I'm not saying it isn't, but it isn't always the case. And there is not always a direct connection between suffering and one's sin. Sometimes we just don't know, right? What we do know is in the midst of sin, and this is where I think our focus should be on this passage, In the midst of a sin like this, what we do know is God can be seen and God can be glorified. I read one author said, the disciples in a sense were looking back, trying to deal with a theological issue, and Jesus looked forward and pointed them forward. And I like that, because so often we do that. And sometimes you guys looking back and trying to unravel the string on, you just end up with nothing once you've done it. It's much better to look ahead and keep pressing ahead. And so that's what we see here. And notice Jesus clearly says, not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so spitting on the ground, and I thought, I I was so tempted to ask one of you to do this today. I was so tempted to ask Joel (laughs) to come up here, and I was going to spit in something of dirt and make mud and put it on his eyes, but I... I didn't. How many of you wanted me to do that? <laughs> oh, you are being kind. You are being so kind. Anyway, that's all right. But seriously, he spits in the ground and he makes a small amount of mud. And it really didn't take much because it wasn't the mud that healed him, right? And so he makes this, he anoints the man's eyes with it. Just That means just pushing it on his eyes. And he said, go now and wash. Go down to the pool of Siloam. And you can see the map behind me. It's not the pool of Bethesda up at the top. We've already talked about that. And there was a lame man that was healed there, remember? But now we're all the way down here. And what you need to know is there's quite an elevation drop between where the pool of Siloam is and where the temple is. 
You guys that went to Israel with us what, a year, year, a little over a year ago, remember that? We went into the city of David and we made our way all the way down. It was downhill the whole way. And so that's where Jesus asked this man, go. They, they say it was probably about a half a mile walk. And to you and I, a half a mile walk is not a big deal. That's a track times two, right? That's how I always think of it. But it was down a very steep grade. It was over dirt. It was over stones that they would use to make the pass, if you will. And not being able to see a thing, see? This man made his way to the pool. He washed the mud off his eyes. And I love that. It says he came back seeing. And again, it's so easy to read these things, isn't it? And just think, ah, that's cool. That's awesome. No, it's cool. It's awesome. It's amazing. And we don't know why John, why didn't John give us more? Why didn't he go into those type of details like the man went crazy when he saw, you know, and he ran back or something, but he doesn't. But don't you think that the trip back was different than the trip going? Again, you and I, we, if we've seen all our life, we can't imagine what that must have been like. He's a man. Do you pick that up? He's an adult. He is gone now in those biblical times. He has probably lived uh, either the majority of his life, because he didn't live as long as we do, or quite a bit of his life, never seen. And so all of a sudden his sight comes back, and that's what it says when he, he came back. Oh, he came back a different man. I bet you it took it longer to get back. I do. I think he just had to stop and look at everything. Well, I've heard about that. That's, where, oh, that's what this looks like, you know? And in those days, that temple would have been standing there. If you've been to Israel and you can recognize this area, you could see the temple mound. But there, it's destroyed, most of it. And it has grandeur, but not like it did then. And so it must have been a trip for this guy. And I think, what a trip to go from darkness to light. That'd be like, if you're old enough, you remember when TV went from black and white to color. I think I told you this, so just forgive me, I keep repeating myself, but not too long ago, our little grandson Mackie was over at the house, and my wife loves Andy and Mayberry, and he looks at, he's watching, he goes, Grandma, can we quit watching this gray TV? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he didn't know what it was, he just knew it was gray. <laughs> I don't like this, it's gray, you know, type of thing. But it's, it's amazing that what this guy saw. Again, I mentioned earlier, Acts 3. That lame man that was begging um, at the temple, that's how he had to survive. And Peter and John were approaching the temple that day, right, to pray. And he approached them and he asked, you know, do you have anything? And they said, we don't have anything to give you as far as money, but we will give you Jesus. In Acts 7 and 8, it says he took up him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And we see something here, don't we? We see the faith of that man. He could have just laid there and said, I'm not getting up. But it's almost as Peter had faith as he took the guy's hand, but then the guy had to have faith too as he knows what Peter's going to do, and life came into his legs. And that's why I like it when it says he... He went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think he was doing a mad, hey, hey, you know, type of thing, all the way in. You know, just, I mean, again, see, 
we know these passages so much, we, we forget what it was like. But this was incredible. And so this had to be the scene, excitement and energy and rejoicing. And notice, we don't know the location of where he returned to. doesn't tell us that. We're assuming somewhere back up where he went. But two, Jesus isn't there. You could cheat and look down to verse 35. That's the next encounter and conversation he'll have with Jesus because Jesus seeks him out. We'll get to that next week. But when he gets back, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And it's interesting. The other thing to note is having him make this short trip to the pool of Siloam, it was a step of faith. He, that's why. Jesus often healed people right where they were. He didn't always do this type of thing. But in this situation, he chose to send him to the pool of Siloam. And doesn't the Lord do the same to us? We aren't always obedient to when he does that to us that he tells us to go, to step out in faith. So often we want it figured out. We want the map. We want it loaded into our smartphone, the direction we're going to go. And yeah, Lord, could you throw in any circumstances or consequences that are going to happen along the way? Well, listen, if that's the way you live, you're going to lock yourself in your room and you're never going to come out. And that's not how we're to live as believers. We are to show faith. And I felt this morning as I was going through my notes, I just want to say this to those of us that have been in the Lord a long time. I understand we can't do everything we used to do. I understand that our energy levels do drop as we get older. You that are young, just tuck it away. It's coming, okay? (laughs) Enjoy the ride and the energy you have right now. And all the people over 60 said... Amen. Yeah, see? But, but I do want to encourage you guys that the Lord isn't done with you. And the Lord always has something for you. We may come and we may go. We may change careers and whatever it might be. But listen, as your pastor, I'd tell you, don't ever get to the point where you say, Lord, I don't want to lead, be led of you anymore. You want to be led of the Lord. You can move, you can do anything you want, but you still want the Lord, the Lord of your life. And that's what we see here. And so he does that to us. Listen to what Spurgeon said. I thought this was a great quote to throw in here. Spurgeon said, understanding would compel me to keep to the shallows, but faith takes me to the main ocean. Little faith must have everything very plain or else it cannot move at all. But great faith makes crooked things straight. It sees light in the midst of darkness and gathers comfort out of discouragement. Don't you love that? And I like that actually at times. You have to work about some of the language they used to use, but man, I admire that poetic type language and the pictures and the images it brings up there. And so verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, so we're going to make the assumption now he's back. He came back to that area where he was. That we're saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And so they knew him. They saw him. And I don't think he changed his clothes, right? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, said to go to Siloam and wash. 
So I went and I washed, I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Okay. And so it can seem almost humorous, can't it? This advantage of, you know, if you get into the word and just work on it for a week or so, it's kind of humorous that there's those that are going, it's him. Okay. I do that when I watch movies with my wife. I am horrible about people. I really am. I'll say, you ask her, and she'll say, he does it almost all the time. I go, is that so-and-so? And she goes, no. <laughs> or is that her? No. Well, who is that? I don't know, you know? But I'm just, I'm horrible. I'm the guy that watched the movie Hook and didn't know Dustin Hoffman was in it. <laughs> and later we were talking to some people, and privately I said to her, was Dustin Hoffman in the movie? She said, yeah, he was Hook. I said, oh, gee. <laughs> so I watched it again. I said, yeah, that's him. <laughs> you know? But anyway, I just get into the movie and I don't worry about who it is. So anyway, but it's humorous. Some said it's he, and I like this one. Others said no, but he is like him. <laughs> you know, they couldn't quite get there. And finally, the formerly blind man says, I am he. I am the man that you think I am and talking about. And again, John doesn't record us the reaction of the people beyond these words, but it had to be this, we can't believe our eyes. This is amazing. And I think that's a reaction of those that said, you know, nobody, he's like him, that it wasn't so much they were idiots, but it was so hard for them to get their head around, and it'll be hard for the Pharisees to get their head around what had happened to this man. And so they're just going, it looks like him, but... Uh, you know, they just couldn't figure it out. And they had never seen anything like this, that one being born blind could see, and it caused them, some of them, to question. And there was, they were accustomed to seeing um, him begging. And we, and we, we, and can't we be like that at times? He is like him, see? Uh, it's, it remind me of the passage in Mark nine fourteen, the father of the boy that Jesus healed, he was possessed, and he couldn't speak. You remember the passage? You love this passage in Mark 9, 14, where it, the guy, the father said, help me in my unbelief, see? And that is where we often are at. Help us, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. And again, faith is required. In what we are being asked to do and to believe, it might be beyond what we have ever done before, what we've ever seen before, what we've ever understood before. But God asks us to believe. And listen, I can see all you right now. If you turned around, you go, well, that's kind of rude. I'm not going to do that. But listen, everyone in this room faces this if we love the Lord. At times, we want to believe, but there are things that are keeping us back from believing. And so all I want you to know is this, you're not alone. Don't put a trip on yourself like, you know, I'm not like that. We're all like that at times. But we keep saying, Lord, help me to believe, see? And he does, doesn't he? And so we have that. And so we want to have faith. We want to believe. We want to step out. And I would tell you this, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. In the same passage of Mark, Jesus said to the Father, if you can, right? See, he said, if you can, when he asked about healing. And Jesus said, all things are possible for one who believes. 
And again, you know that passage, if you really want to understand that passage and apply it to your life, you have to chew on it. You have to chew on it because it challenges it, doesn't it? It challenges us to, to believe and to go beyond the way we usually think. And that is something you and the Lord need to work out. And so verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly, um, uh, formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. And when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, so the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the fairies said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened our eyes, he said, he is a prophet. And so they bring now the man to the Pharisees. And that might seem like, are they ratting him out? But that's not the situation. The Pharisees were looked to at times uh, when there's a miracle like this, and maybe it was an unusual thing. They were highly respected by the people, and they would come to the Pharisees when things like this took place to have it verified. And notice it happened, not necessarily they came to the Pharisees on the Sabbath. I think there's some maybe time here, we don't know. But it was, a, it was on the Sabbath when Jesus healed the man. And the Pharisees were divided. Some said that Jesus, that's who they're speaking about, couldn't be from God but because he's not keeping the Sabbath. And so you're thinking, well, how is he? And the adherence to the law for the Pharisees, it took precedent over the facts and the truth and over Jesus. And it was their interpretation of the law that they said kneading clay on the Sabbath was against the law. It was a type of work. I read this week that when you, if, and the Jews had a law that if your sandals had some type of tack in them, you couldn't wear those on the Sabbath because it constituted the work that took to put into them. And you go, that's crazy. You're right. It is crazy. And that's just how crazy it got. But anyway, that's why they said, you know, well, he's a sinner. He's breaking the Sabbath. Others said, how could a sinner do such a thing? And they're more in agreement with what is taking place. They're kind of going, I hear you saying, not some of the Pharisees, that you know he's breaking the law so he can't be who he says he is. But others are kind of going, well, then explain to me. Because we have information in the guy before us that he never has seen. And now he sees. And so we know that happened. Some of the Jewish leaders believed Jesus was the Messiah. Nicodemus is probably the most famous one. He came to Jesus at night to talk about who Jesus was. It's in John 3. He spoke at the meetings, and that's when Jesus said to him, you need to be born again. He spoke at the meeting of the Sanhedrin, defending Jesus by saying, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And that's in John seven fifteen. And after Jesus was crucifi crucified, Nicodemus did what? Anybody remember? He brought the spices to anoint Jesus' body, see? So the Pharisees, some of them were that way. Acts 15.5 tells us they were, there were believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, see? And so there was this division there that was taking place. So the Pharisees were divided. But 
the, he, the healed man knew he had been healed by someone from God, and that's why he calls him a prophet. So he's not against that Jesus is the Messiah. This probably and could be the first time he ever encountered Jesus. And all he knows is this, because in the Old Testament, the Jews looked and knew there were prophets that did miraculous things. And that's all he's saying. Now, he's going to come to believe. He's going to come to understand who Jesus is. But for now, he just says, when they say, who is he? Who do you think he is? And they, he said, he is a prophet, see? And, of course, they wouldn't have liked that. And so I'm going to pass the next chunk. We'll pick it up next week at 18. But I want to go back up and um, look at something. I think as we take this passage, and this is what I want to leave with you, there are three things, um, what we could do with it. One is... You could take some time later and you could look at the Pharisees and if you have courage enough to say, where am I like a Pharisee in my life, see? I think that's a, a, a valuable thing to do. Where do I have those legalistic tendencies or to see things in a very narrow way and the Lord might, might have me see them differently? Second, again, the Pharisees kind of goes together, but more specifically, is there blindness in your life? And where do you need to see it? Can we agree? And if you don't agree with me, I really don't want you to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, I, you'll see why. I think all of us have to admit there are blindnesses, blind spots in our life, right? Shake your head. Okay, there are, see? And again, I want you to know that Everybody you're worshiping with this morning is saying that. And so it's a great question to ask ourselves. Lord, uh, show me those blind spots. And add to that, and Lord, when I see them, give me the courage to ask you to help me to change, right? So you could see a lot of stuff. But then the last thing, and this is what we'll close with, it goes back up to the top, and we want to develop, and we want to have a passion for God's work. Go back to verse 3, if you will, real quick. It said, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works, uh, the works of God might be displayed in him. And so verse 3, it wasn't the man. It wasn't his parents. But notice that. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Listen to F.F. Bruce because this is important. Your mind might go, well, my goodness, did God cause this to happen to him? And he goes all the way in the adulthood with all the suffering that a person even today would go through being blind. And yet back then, how much harder? And why would God do that? F.F. Bruce answered it. He says, the purpose of the blindness was that a divine work should be wrought in him and the divine glory be revealed. This does not mean that God deliberately caused the child to be born blind in order that, after many years, his glory be displayed in the removal of the blindness. To think so would be an aspersion on the character of God. It does mean that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ and others, seeing the work of God might turn to the true light of the world, see? And that's how God works. Listen, we don't have time. It would be so wonderful if we did for you to tell your story and me to tell my story about a time where something happened, maybe something that we would consider tragic, 
And yet we see how God used it and God worked through it. For me, and I'm not going to go into the detail, it has to be with the death of my brother. The death of my brother was profound spiritually on me. It changed my life. It redirected my life. And it led me to where I'm at today. And so we see those things. And at the time we go, Lord, why? Why is this happening? But we know that God worked. And notice verse 4, you guys. Look at, me, look at it with me. Verse 4 and 5, what does he say? We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so look at this. Did you pick up two words? Worship team, why don't you make your way back up? Two words. Notice what it says. We must. Very important. If you're a Bible marker, mark those. I'm going to tell you what that's saying there. He says, we must. Jesus said that we must work the works. We, first of all, is plural. You picked up on that, didn't you? He didn't say, I must. He says, we must work the work of him who sent me while it is still day. It's plural, and it meant the disciples. And most believe there's nothing wrong with taking the application all the way to today, that it includes us too. We are in that we. And must is, a, is one of those words that we tell our kids, you must do this right now, or, right? But must is a, speaks of urgency in doing the works of God. It describes Jesus', as Jesus actively, his active fulfillment in the mission given him by the Father. And so, you guys, that's what I really want to leave you chewing with today. That God has called us, and we, along with Christ, must be about the works of God. You say, what are the works of God? Well, that's for you to figure out and for me to figure out. It's for you to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do or keep doing or what new thing that you want me to get involved with, see? But that's where our heart should be. And so I just pray that we will have a sense of urgency and we'll realize the days are short. Like Joel said earlier, this world is getting crazy and it really is. And just when you think you've heard it all, you go, I haven't heard it all. And I'll tell you, I'm so glad we could have the rock, that we can have our life resting and built upon Jesus Christ as we go through these days. So let's worship the Lord. And as we do, think about these things today. You can do all kinds of praying going on to yourself. Um, as my son used to say when he was a little kid, praying in your mind. <laughs> And do that as we just worship the Lord and we praise him and close out the service.